Good afternoon, friends. Tis another grand and glorious day in the best little city in America. And we're going to spend the next couple hours on the Patrick Lally Show, as always, engaged in energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, national news, local, state, national politics. We've got some science and medicine, arts and leisure. It's your it's your trivial pursuit on air, filling up your pie and getting ready to move to the center spot of radio. Uh, it is a, a, a good day because Uber producer Dan Peters is here to keep you updated on the latest news and weather. Thanks for spending some of your time with us today on your radio at Information 1000, streamed live at KSO.com. And this is important. Go out there and get your KSO mobile app it's new, it's branded, it's got news and updates and weather, and you just one touch, you listen to KSOO. That's how I do it. Remember, though, you can always follow along on Facebook Live, which people are doing right now, or on our Twitter account, at P. Lally Show. We love to hear what you think. Uh, I had a fantastic weekend, Dan. Fantastic weekend. How was yours? Well, I wouldn't say fantastic, but I would say it was probably a more long... It was doable. It was a six. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, the weather was a little nicer. We got outside. I got to ride my bike a little bit uh, on Sunday. You know, you know, I had a meeting for the bike club, and if you don't ride to a bike club meeting, you always get kind of beat down. So that's always a good idea. But uh, it was, it was nice on Sunday, and uh, as I've, but as I've mentioned before, I'm trying to start getting back into like a regular training regimen. Uh, again, I've kind of had an extended period of not like seriously training for anything. And I have a few things on my calendar. I got to get, I got to get back into the grind, you know, back into the routine. And I don't know if I'm serious yet or not, but I've been spending more time on the bike trainer indoors, which used to be just an egregious experience, but it's a lot better now because of technology and the wonderful world of Zwift. I wrote about that experience this weekend for a post that you can read on KSO.com right now. But an interesting thing happened this weekend or last week or so. My bike trainer, you know, it's one of the modern sort of computer-driven versions. It's not like an old just sit there and spin situation. You can change the resistance, and then you get paired up in your virtual reality world, and it's like a video game, although you're working real hard. Uh, But like all things technical, sometimes things go wrong. And my trainer went down like a week ago and I had to order a new part. So that came and I put it on and I was back up and running on Sunday morning. And I jumped in this ride with about 1,200 of my closest friends and a couple local ones uh, from people from around the world in this thing. Everything was going fine. And then 27 miles into this 30-mile ride when I was dying, the, my program, you know, every once in a while things happen. It just crashed. It just shut down. And that was disconcerting and all, but it wouldn't be that big a deal, uh, except this is the problem. It meant my ride wasn't going to get logged in virtual reality and shared through Strava, which is another site where you communicate with friends, social media kind of deal. And uh, it shouldn't be this way. I know it shouldn't be this way, people. But I felt like robbed. I was mad. Because all my, my achievement for that day 
you know, I'm just trying to get back in it. So I want I want my stuff to be posted. I want my friends to be able to see that I did, in fact, do this ride. But it wasn't there. It wasn't there. And, you know, that's got to be some sort of like psychological trickery. Uh, because even after putting in this effort and doing the training, I felt, you know, let down. <laughs> like it didn't really happen because I didn't get my social media love. So that means one of the five love languages that you follow, kind words, kind are, words. are on the, are, <laughs> it would be on your list because yes. people say, hey, way to go, man. Yeah, all right. Oh, even just the little thumbs up, you know, you got a kudo on Strava. That's all you're looking for. Not much. And, you know, now it wasn't there. And it's an odd and I'll admit mildly disturbing character flaw that this bothers me, but it does. And I think there's a way to go back and find the data somewhere. <laughs> but I'm so far, so so far, I'm too lazy or unwilling to go do that. But we'll we'll see. You know, trials and tribulations. This is a first world problem of the highest order. I wasn't able to post my ride, my virtual ride, and my indoor trainer on my social media, so I couldn't get reinforced uh, from my electronic friends. Is that about, that about sums it up, doesn't it, Dan? <laughs> but it was still outstanding that you were able to accomplish it. Your muscles still yeah, know that know. you did this. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose there's some benefit to it. But if I don't get my social media love, man, I just uh, it's not real to me. Uh, you can go read my story on KSO.com. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. Our guests include Dr. Gene Hoime. He is with Sanford Research. He's a genetics and pediatric researcher and he was involved with a recent national study revealing that fetal alcohol syndrome is more prevalent than previously thought. It's a fascinating study. Blogger Corey Heidelberger from Dakota Free Press will be here about 4 o'clock. We'll talk about the latest developments in your South Dakota legislature. The Common Man will kick off our weir- week of weird friends. And I've got not one, but two PL statements. There's just too much to talk about. The first just after the next break, is uh, today's topic, Mike Huther's Secret World, also known as the secret brain of Mike Huther. You're going to want to stop back. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 317 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Yes, we're getting a little closer to free on the PL statement today on the Patrick Lally Show. Oh, I love that line. Anyway, uh, looking through the news over the weekend and through today, there's a lot going on. And but the thing that caught my eye, and this is I'm gonna tell you that this is the first of two PLs, okay? So I got a local one here for you to start off the day. And then a little later in the show, after the common man, we're going to come back. And actually, it's all going to kind of flow together, right? It's all going to be kind of themed at this point. Um, So here's the deal. Secrecy, all right? Government secrecy. You You heard me talk about this over and over and over. 
that the biggest problem we have in the state of South Dakota isn't corruption necessarily, but a culture that allows people to do things behind closed doors. It gives you the opportunity for corruption as much as anything. And here's the latest example of secrecy. The, and, it, you know, the closer we get to the end of the Mayor Mike Huther administration, the weirder it gets. So Joe Sneavy, friend of the show, Joe Sneavy is a reporter at Argus Leader Media. He covers City Hall. He made a pretty simple request. What are the names of the six companies that submitted application for the first phase of redevelopment of the land formerly home to the downtown railroad switching yard? And some of this information had been out there already, but, you know, because there's a process. But Joe just asked for the names. He was denied that request by the city under the excuse that a new policy required the list to be kept sealed until the winner was announced course nobody had ever heard of that policy and it wasn't way things have been handled in the past city says it wanted to make sure that all the media got the information at the same time which you know is absurd it's absurd that was friday then on saturday the city decides oh we're going to release the information after all under order of uh this is the the uh, uh lead on joe's story uh, that ran, uh, it broke on Saturday, ran on Sunday. Mayor Mike Huther has ordered the release of the names of six private development companies in the running for the first phase of the rail yard redevelopment project downtown. It's an about phase from a new city policy adopted this fall that keeps the names of individuals and companies seeking private public partnerships with Sioux Falls government private until a winner is formally announced and comes less than 24 hours after the other city officials maintained a denial of an Argus leader request to see the list. So, you know, it's going back and forth and back and forth. And uh, some of this was on Twitter last week and some of the machinations. And it was all just very weird. Um, so on Saturday, Saturday, uh, Sneavy on the phone gets the list. Not, a, you know, there's no huge surprises in there. But uh, in fact, let's, uh, who are they? So the six. And this is the rail yard that we got the, the big millions from the feds to tear up uh, over there on your East Bank, your Tony East Bank of Sioux Falls, which I love. So the six companies are Lloyd Companies, Legacy Developments, you know them, 8th and Railroad Center, and Pender Schrappa, which 8th and Railroad is the people, uh, Dave and, and uh, uh, Erica Billion, who own the 8th and Railroad Center and a couple of the buildings down there. Pender Schrappa is a... Uh, uh, Jeff Scherzlick and, and folks around him who own, he owns Sharapa. Lloyd Companies is Lloyd Companies. And Legacy Development is the company that is involved that's in the controversy over the parking ramp and hotel. That private-public partnership, and you know all about that. Then there's two out-of-state ones, Inland Development Partners of St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and Philadelphia-based development firm Smart Visions. Now, none of that's a surprise because we knew that they were uh, interested or early on, but you know, you want the final list. It's a, it's a reasonable question to make sure that there isn't something in there. You don't know. It's a reasonable question. It's not that hard. So Darren Ketchum, who is community development director, he's the guy who took Darren Smith's job after Darren went to run the pavilion. Um, he said uh, uh, the decision to release the names was authorized by Mayor Huther after conversations with community development officials earlier in the day. 
Quote, we are we were trying to keep it as low key as possible in the time until the time we are ready to start moving forward. But we have shown who the submitters are in the past, so I think there were some crossed wires. Crossed wires? Crossed wires? What what is going on here? Either there's a policy or there isn't a policy, right? My guess is that somebody may have decided after the flack following the golf course management contract and the parallel uproar over legacy development contract for that hotel parking ramp that the mayor decided that saying nothing was in his best interest. So he told somebody not to release the names. I'm not to Joe because he's the one who called. I'm not trying to cast dispersions on the people who end up having to talk for the mayor. I'm not going to do that. The mayor, the most likely scenario is that the mayor gave them their marching orders because he hates the Argus leader so much and his agents relayed that message. That's my guess. That's me just talking here. That's standard operating procedure for the mayor. There's no coherent policy, just what he decides in that moment when it serves his self-interest. The overriding theme here is that the mayor doesn't like to be questioned. He fails to recognize that city government doesn't exist to serve his deal-making. I have no idea what happened behind the scenes, but my hope is that somebody high up in city government pointed out that what all the rest of us see, that all the recent controversies of the past six to eight months have one thing in common. The mayor wants to run government outside public scrutiny as much as possible. Somebody had to have said, Mr. Mayor, sir, if you do this, it looks really, really bad given that you are already in cahoots with legacy development and they already are under criminal investigation. I know it's not the same LLC and it was the other LLC, but it's the you know association that's important. It looks really bad that you entered into a secret settlement over the Premier Center siding and then lied about the amount. It looks really, really bad that you hold a press conference pretty much every day, whether there's news to relay or not, that you held a press conference in City Hall to tell people that you don't have any plans after you leave office, that you continually bristle against public input from from citizens, that you have very little grasp of the time-honored and constitutionally protected role of the media in democracy. Those things all look really bad, Mr. Mayor, sir. So piling this latest affront on open government in the name of cutting a business deal may just push people over the edge, Mr. Mayor. Besides, one reporter asked you a question. A simple question. Again, answer the question. That's how it works. At least... That's what I hope happened behind closed doors on Saturday. That's the bottom line on part one of the PL statement. I will have part two about 345 after the common man. Topic two, what is Donald Trump hiding? You can agree or disagree with me by dropping me an email, Patrick at KSOO. Follow us on Twitter at P. Lally Show on the Facebook Lives where your friends and relatives are already gathered. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Three thirty-three on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. I was born in the Dublin street where the loyal runs do be. And the loving English people walked all over us 
And every single night when the dad would come home tight, he'd invite the neighbors out with his chorus. Come out, you black and tans, come out and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders. Tell her how the IRA made you run like hell away from the green and lovely lace of there's a little extended Irish rebel music for my next guest, my weird friend, the common man, uh, Mr. Common. How I, I, I queued that one up just for you. You know, I, I, I feel inspired to just go out and drink Guinness right now. That's right. And you know, maybe take up arms. I, you know, <laughs> not that we're advocating for that, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's, that's, I kind of went away from that. Yeah. But that the is the other Irish method of dealing with issues. <laughs> It's a it's an old rebel song, and I've you know I'm starting to feel the spirit pretty heavy now. Are you? Yeah, I I'm loading up Irish music like crazy. I well, hope you like Irish music. It's going to be St. Patrick's Day on a set, you know, on when God intended it to be this year. I think it's it's it calls for extra effort. Yeah, well, the the brass holes are slated to play, so that in itself will be reason for celebration. Oh my God! Um, hey, Common, I know you're you're a sports guy. You never miss a chance, and we're in that dead zone. We're in the ugly dead zone of sports. Mm. Boy, is it ever! Tough. Did you? I mean, we're in the the Olympics are great, but like last night, they were showing like training runs for women's downhill. They had nothing. I think the schedule must have been all messed up by the wind and all that, because there was nothing to watch last night. It was awful, and I can't. Did you watch the NBA All Star Game? I, yeah, I I I watched. I watched Fergie. Eh? Oh, the, the national anthem. You know, I, I don't know if, if, if everybody, all your listeners heard it or not, but, uh, you know, and Fergie's a fine singer, uh, fine artist. But, uh, and and the, technically, the, the rendition was great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, I hit all the notes, didn't yeah. forget the words. But she sang it like it was a cabaret torch song. <laughs> oh, no. And it, I, it was, you know, I felt like, I felt like Gilligan, when Ginger Grant would sing Let Me Entertain You, it just kind of felt all goosebumply and weird inside. Somewhere Francis Scott Key was just blushing. Yeah. It was, and it was weird, and then had all the, you know, the match, you know, mechanizations of the whole histronics and the ups and downs and the warbles and the, and the oh, God, Lord, yeah. and long, and, and just desperately long. And so and it just... They showed all like the basketball players, and uh, towards the end, like, the guys like Draymond Green were like breaking up laughing because it was just getting so darn comical. Oh my god! You no. know this. This is what happens when you break up with a North Dakota boy. <laughs> Somewhere, Josh Duhamel's going. Yeah, I knew that would happen. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you know the first rule of playing the national anthem back in the the pep band days and such was go fast. Don't don't dwell. Just play it at the pace it's supposed to be played. And I know I know there's room for artistic interpretation, but man, just play just play the song, let people sing, and sit back down. Yeah. yeah. You know, somewhere Roseanne Barr's going, Man, that was a bad version of the National Anthem. <laughs> you think she might have watched the Bleeding Gums Murphy edition of the <laughs> National Anthem from The Simpsons years and years ago. So, I mean, just run it rehearse it once, right, Dan? I mean, just have somebody hear it and go, Nope. That's not the way to do it. Nope. You have a big buzzer, you know, just, like like the Oscars with the countdown. You know, like you thought you gotta go. You gotta leave the stage now, Fergie. Yeah, uh, quick segue, you know, cut to the you know, they should just superimpose Whitney Houston over the top of her and just play the <laughs> Super Bowl version and everybody'll be happy. Why don't they just play that 
for yeah. everything. Just yeah. Whitney, you, you nailed it. Go. That that's a, a good idea for all national sporting events from here on out. Um, you know, hey, speaking of national, it is President's Day. Are you working today? Do you get to, Are you like me? Do you got to slave away on President's Day oh. in honor of our great presidents, Washington and Lincoln? In the, in to, in, the, in respect to our Republican democracy, I am well finished slaving for the day. Oh, anyway. okay. But but uh, yes, I mean, but I went out there and did my thing to spur the American economy and. No, it's just I feel bad about President's Day, you know, because now it's got it's almost like a loaded word. Now, remember, what like a, you know a thousand years ago when we were kids, you know, President's Day was like, well, we're going to celebrate the you know all the good old dead white guys, you know, and and it was and presidents were held in high honor, and it was kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's just you know, and it didn't start, it didn't start with Trump. It started many many presidents ago, and it's just kind of gradually gone downhill where it's everybody's just you know. Is vicious about the whole thing, and 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 I blame I blame the demise of the fairness doctrine for it. The fairness doctrine. Yep, I'm going to get get you into your journalism class. From, Boy, you're pulling that one way back from the old from the archives. People don't know you, what the fairness doctrine. Right, is. but if you look at the when people started treating presidents kind of poorly, mm-hmm. just uh, in general, it goes back to about you know, 1987, demise of the fairness doctrine. Mm. When all of a sudden, you know, the people, it, 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 it's not that you know the equal. Time thing. It's a different thing than that. But basically, they just said if you were broadcasting, you had to discuss the uh, pertinent issues of the day, and you had to present both sides. Mm-hmm. And and now they don't have to do that anymore because there's they said, well, there's not just three channels anymore. You can say whatever the heck you want. Yeah, so that, people can listen to what they want. You know, I had totally forgotten about the fairness doctrine, but I remember now when I was in college studying the the history and the political science and such. I had a class in arguing or whatever it was, and uh, the fairness doctrine was one of the things that we argued about. I'd totally forgotten about that. Yeah, so if you look at, like, the last president who was, everybody, you know, he was a good guy, pretty, you know, you might have had your differences, but, you know, Ronald Reagan probably, right? Mm-hmm. last one, everybody goes, well, you know, you might not agree to everything, but people more or less had a positive image of him, and then poor Bush comes along, 88 yeah, and all of a sudden it says, you know, not gonna do it. You know, <laughs> it's just they just tear them apart. Yeah, that's sort of when it became a cage match, wasn't it? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. You know, the other day I'm flipping through the channels, and I'm watching MSNBC, and then I flipped to Fox, and it's the same day. You know, the same headlines for the day, and none of the none of the content was at all the same. There was not one thread. That was the same on both of those channels, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, you know, how are, how is anybody supposed to have a reasonable discussion about these things when you're not you're not even getting the same message? No, you're not even talking about the same. There's there's no shared reality amongst people anymore, and so you sit there and you you talk at each other, but there's no understanding. And there's no it's there's better no. ratings, Pat. It's better ratings. Well, yeah, it is, and. That's because you know you can keep this particular audience if you pander to them. That's why this is a no talking point show. You know what I mean? There's no talking points on the Patrick Lally show. But when you, if you listen to one uh, particular media over another and you can hear the themes, you hear them use the same phrases. Mm. And you're like, does everybody just get an email? that day and you're supposed to use these phrases to reinforce this message and it's it's true you'll you'll like 
let's take for instance um oh man i yeah i don't know the even the gun control thing with uh right now you'll hear the same phrases used by one side or the other and it's it's a it's transparent i i to me but maybe it's not to everybody else i don't know well yeah i mean people have to make the effort to listen to both sides and not everybody wants to do that and that's because it's not as much fun but that that's entirely true and it you know it kind of goes along hand in hand with the fact that you know if you you can't reason with somebody who's not hearing the same facts that you are facts in quotation marks in with news news is not news anymore you know Edward R. Murrow isn't sitting there. It's entertainment. And even those businesses, those networks, label themselves as entertainment, like All-Star Wrestling or WWE. (laughs) It's the same thing. So if you think you're getting news, okay, well, great. You have to be a much more discerning consumer, and it's something that uh, people bemoan all the time is the lack of civic engagement and all that. But you do have to pay attention. And uh, there are friends of mine who espouse a, if, you, if you're not going to take the time to learn something, you shouldn't vote. So just don't. If you're not going to pay attention, please do everybody a favor and don't vote. You know, I have one particular friend who wants fewer people to vote. Just stop. If you, if you can't pace, pass this sort of five-point, very basic questionnaire, you can't go in. You're done. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, yeah. It's sort of like Monty Python, you know, at the bridge with the wizard. Yeah, that's right. What's that's your right. favorite color? <laughs> How many, yeah. The How wings. many states are in the union? <laughs> yeah. 49. Oh! Pass a civics test. Yeah, something like that would be good. But, but I mean, but I, it's, it, it's not the way it's supposed to work. But you do encourage people to say, you know, all right, this is one viewpoint, here's another. But don't take any of this stuff as gospel until you at least entertain the other side a little bit yeah uh, a little president's day message from the common man yep. I, uh, did you uh bring a joke to leave on a high note or are we just going to leave it lay there well i'm going to leave you with the immortal words of president john adams yeah who once said one useless man is a shame two is a law firm and three or more is congress <laughs> An old, a very old joke, but apropos in our current situation. (laughs) Common Man, thank you for uh, filling us in on the, uh, reminding us of why we're all here. And we'll talk to you next week. Why, thank you, and God bless America. There you go. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, it's going to be part two of the P&L statement today. We're going to talk a little bit about Donald Trump. And then after the news at the top of the hour, we got Corey Heidelberger in from Dakota Free Press, talk about the legislature, and then... Dr. Gene Hoime, he's with Sanford Research, and we're going to talk about fetal alcohol syndrome and higher rates than we once thought. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we're back with the Patrick Lally Show. There it is. (laughs) I loaded up a new song for you people today. I'm going to have to uh, look into why that went bad, but... Welcome back to the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, replacements, kiss me on the bus. Huh. Anyway, this is, uh, what well, I promised, part two of the P&L statement today. And I should say, I, I saw something and I was, I was uh, alerted to this uh, by a friend of the show, Scott Erisman. 
He's just got a post on his South Dakota blog that says Sioux Falls City Councilor Staley to decide this week if she will run for mayor. Yeah, so the deadline's Friday. Um, so apparently she's been mulling it over and told Scott, uh, quote, I have had several citizens approach me asking me to run. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that'd be a tough That'd be a tough race. There's a lot of, not that Staley doesn't have credibility at this point as a candidate for mayor, but I don't know that it, that uh, she would she would have work to do there. She there's a lot of money in that race now already, and a lot of campaigning going on coming in kind of late, but she's got name recognition. So we'll be watching that. Uh, but the thing I wanted to talk about was Trump, and I okay I I've been trying to stay away from it a little bit, but the thing that I'm I've been confused by since last week since the uh, indictments came down against the uh, 13, 16 Russians. And I was reading the indictment today, 13, sorry. Um, I was reading the indictment and, you know, it's it's interesting reading and it's very detailed and it clearly demonstrates that if true, and we have no reason to believe it's not true, that the Russian government was actively trying to disrupt the country's politics. If not, you know, affect the election, cause problems, cause chaos. That's what it seems like. And collusion, no collusion, you know, we don't know anything about that yet. This is one indictment dealing with a very specific thing. But it clearly proves that there was this concerted effort going on. And why we don't hear anything, I don't know. So I'm reading this, uh, reading the New York Times this morning, and there's a column by Thomas Friedman, who I love, and it's titled, Whatever Trump is Hiding is Hurting All of Us Now. Uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Our democracy is in serious danger. President Trump is either totally compromised by the Russians or is a towering fool or both. But either way, he has shown himself unwilling or unable to defend America against a Russian campaign to divide and undermine our democracy. That is, either Trump's real estate empire has taken large amounts of money from shady oligarchs linked to the Kremlin, so much that they literally own him, or rumors are true that he engaged in sexual misbehavior while he was in Moscow running the Miss Universe contest, which Russian intelligence has on tape and he doesn't want released, or Trump actually believes Russian President Vladimir Putin when he says he is innocent of intervening in our elections. Over the explicit findings of Trump's own CIA, NSA, and FBI chiefs. In sum, Trump is either hiding something so threatening to himself or he's criminally incompetent to be commander-in-chief. It is impossible yet to say which explanation for his behavior is true, but it seems highly likely that one of these scenarios explains Trump's refusal to respond to Russia's direct attack on our system. A croissance that is simply unprecedented for any U.S. president in history. Russia is not our friend. It has acted in a hostile manner, and Trump keeps ignoring it all. Up to now, Trump has been flouting the norms of the presidency. Now Trump's behavior amounts to a refusal to carry out his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. Here's an imperfect but close analogy. It's as if George W. Bush had said after 9-11, no big deal, I'm going golfing over the weekend in Florida and blogging about it, how it's all the Democrats' fault, no need to hold a National Security Council meeting. So, you know, and I, I don't like to read extended passages from 
from other people's work, but that's Thomas Friedman. I'm giving him full credit from the New York Times, and I have a lot of respect for him. He's a guy who travels the world, who does his research, who's thoughtful, and you may not agree with him, but the man's thoughtful. He's not a bomb thrower. He's about driving the country forward in a technologically savvy way to compete in a world market. He's written some fascinating books. He's not a, he's not a partisan hack. And this column is in the New York Times today. It was probably yesterday. You know, um, and he and you remember that the tweet the tweet over the weekend where the president used some vulgarity, not a terrible vulgarity. He said they're the the Russians are laughing their off in Moscow for how we've been investigating their interventions. And you know, so then he's got this tweet, right? Think for a moment how demented was Trump's Saturday night tweet, says Friedman. Very sad that the FBI missed all of the many signals sent out by the Florida school shooter. This is not acceptable. They're spending much too much time trying to prove Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. There is no collusion. Get back to the basics and make us all proud. That was the the tweet. And uh, Friedman goes on to talk about how the FBI, CIA, and NSA are actually doing us amazingly proud They have uncovered this Russian program to divide Americans and tilt our last election toward Trump. I mean, it's if you read the read the document, actually, you don't have to read it every word because it's an indictment. And it's so it's it's kind of, you know, wonky. But it's you just can't get around the fact that this was happening. Do something. And this is the end of the column. But whatever it is, Trump is either trying so hard to hide it or he's so naive about Russia that he is ready to not only resist mounting a proper defense of our democracy, he's actually ready to undermine some of our most important institutions, the FBI, the Justice Department, to keep his compromised status hidden. This must not be tolerated. This is code red. The biggest threat to the integrity of our democracy is in the Oval Office. That's the bottom line on PNL2 today. Uh, Coming up next on the uh, Patrick Lally Show, We've got Corey Heidelberger of the Dakota Free Press blog. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 358 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Hey, the Home Sioux Empire Home Show is coming up February 23, 24, 25, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That is a big dang deal. It's at the Sioux Falls Convention Center. It's always cool. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Corey Heidelberger of the Dakota Free Press blog and then Dr. Gene Hoime of Sanford Research. Join us, Information 1000 KSOO. The loveless fascination under the Milky Way. 406 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. I'm kind of on a replacement jag today. Can't hardly wait. Brings in our resident lefty blogger, Corey Heidelberger of the Dakota Free Press, who we talk to about once a week to figure out what's going on in the legislature. Corey, what is going on in the legislature? Oh, all sorts of stuff, Patrick. It's it's going to be a big week. Uh, you know, they, they got the four-day weekend to rest up for this, and they're heading out tonight in the snowstorm to get back to Pierre. We'll see if they all make it. But it's a big week because it's what we call crossover week. And that means that uh, by Friday, every bill needs to have cleared its house of origin. So if, if a House member has put a bill out there 
it's got to get a House vote on the floor by Friday or it's done. Likewise, on the Senate side, all those Senate bills, they have to get through the Senate or they're just done. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about sort of what's on the precipice uh, here. We're going to talk to Corey for uh, the better part of this half hour. So we've got, we're going to let this breathe a little bit, Corey, because, you know, we're at that point where we need time. But there's Mm -hmm. the thing I want to talk about uh, right away is you posted on your blog, dakotafreepress.com, over the weekend, a, what I found to be a very helpful chart <laughs> of the uh, number of of bills that are uh, proposals to to for ballot initiatives um, or you know these are these are uh, legislative uh, initiated measures uh, and there can be citizen measures that we know about but there's a whole gob of them that not all of them have to do with the actual INR process but a lot of mm-hmm. them do. Um, tell us can you if you could just sort of bring us up to date on what the state of some of these efforts are to change the way uh change the initiative and refer uh referral service system that we have in our constitution um sure yeah. there's a number of them out there what what's going on with that yeah well there are like like you just said there there are two angles of attack here on the one hand there are a number of uh, measures, and they call them joint resolutions in the legislature, where the legislature is proposing constitutional amendments that would change the initiative and referendum process. There's a handful of those. Now, if it's a constitutional amendment, the legislature can okay it, but they have to put it to a public vote. So those are things that we get to vote on come November. Hopefully we can stop the silly things they're doing. Um, there are a whole bunch of other measures that are just statutes you know, like the requirements for, you know, getting circulator addresses, for getting signatures from certain areas, mm-hmm. um, lots of statutory changes that the legislature is working on separately that they don't have to put to a vote, that they can just pass and it becomes law. So, yeah, the chart you're talking about that I put up on the weekend on Saturday, it's just a list of all the things that the legislature itself might put forward as constitutional amendments for us to vote on. Now, you talk about, you know, the Republicans have been complaining, oh, there are too many ballot measures. It's going to confuse the voters. Um, this session, just, just this session, legislators have proposed 14 constitutional amendments to have us vote on. 14 issues. Remember, last election, we only had 10 things to vote on. Um, and, oh, there were only eight initiatives that circulated last year. The legislature proposed 14 things for us to vote on. Um, as it stands, six of those have died Eight are still alive. None have gotten final approval, but there are eight measures the legislature might put on the ballot. Uh, the three biggest in terms of initiative and referendum are actually coming up to a hearing in House State Affairs in committee this week, Wednesday. I think Wednesday morning is when it happens. Uh, one of them would actually take away, one of these amendments would take away our right to put amendments on the ballot. I know. That's just crazy. I, I mean, I yeah. can't even, it's like, well, we don't trust voters. We're just going to, because you got hoodwinked, so we're going to take that away from you. Right. But they that would require us to approve them taking it away from us, right? Right. That would, if, if the legislature says, you bet, let's take this right away from voters, They it's in the Constitution, so they still have to give us a vote on it, and mm-hmm. we can say yay or nay. Um, now, alongside that one, they've got another measure where, uh, like the, the, the one to take the right away from us, that's Mark Mickelson. Mm-hmm. Go figure. He, he hates initiative. He's out to kill it. That's his amendment. Mm-hmm. But, but he got uh, Tom Pischke, representative from just north of you up in Del Rapids, 
to float a similar measure. It's, it's a different resolution, but it's right by it. It's up Wednesday, too, for debate in the committee. That measure would still let us initiate and vote on constitutional amendments, but then anything we approve goes to the legislature, and for it to become part of the Constitution, the legislature would have to vote on it and approve of it. So basically, giving the legislature veto power over anything that we would do to the Constitution. It's, uh, it really is absurd. These two, these two oh, yeah. in particular, some of the things, uh, some of them I could see as maybe good sense, there's common sense reforms, right? But mm-hmm. these two basically say, you're too stupid. We're taking it right. away from you. Yeah, they're trying to, t- we, see, we, we didn't always have the power to amend our Constitution by initiative. This actually came about in 1972 in the glory days of the, of the Knights administration. We wrote this into the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and, and none, of these, none of these ideas here are coming from the people. If the public were saying, you know what, the Constitution's too easy to amend, or you know what, it should always be subject to legislative scrutiny or veto. If, if there were, you know, grassroots groups saying they want to protect the Constitution, I, you know, I'd hear them out. But there aren't. Yeah. These measures to restrict initiative and referendum, both the, the amendments that we're looking at here and then the statutes that they're trying to pass, these are all coming from legislators who are mad that we're intruding on their power. They, they're the club. They want the power, and they want to do it. So it, there's no grassroots push for this. It's all from the legislators. There is one piece of legislation uh, that came out of this, the uh, legislative, the summer committee, the study committee that was chaired by Emily Wanless, Augustana University professor, and she's been on this program talking about it, which is they would raise the threshold for passage to 55%. Now, at some level, I can get behind that. You know, if you're going to change the Constitution, maybe there should be a little bit higher bar. You know, is it 55? There was talk of 60. This wouldn't have stopped Marcy's Law. 60 wouldn't have stopped Marcy's Law. So right. in, yep. in, that, in that measure, but this... And that one has made it a little further, right? This is like the only real official uh, recommendation out of that task force that has made it this far. Yeah, and that one has to be a constitutional amendment because the the vote threshold for passing amendments is in the Constitution, so they have to change that. That one got through committee and it got through the Senate on a pretty strong vote, 26 to 9. Now it goes to House State Affairs. Um, And I have... You know, some good friends in the in the high school debate world and the teaching world and that who you know are kind of kind of my my, my friendly local constitutional scholars, um, and they agree the Constitution is a serious document. It should not be easy to amend mm-hmm. the Constitution. Um, you know, so I'm open to debate on that measure, but I would contend. You know, ask anybody who's actually tried to amend the Constitution, any grassroots South Dakotan. Um, it's no easy thing. We've already got filters and barriers to that. You know, you got to go out and get twice as many signatures mm-hmm. just to put it on the ballot. I mean, there's a filter right there to make it hard. You tell me how quickly you can get 30,000 signatures. Oh, it's hard. For regular folks, it's not an easy thing to do. And then you got to persuade the voters. And South Dakota voters are cautious about their Constitution. They know it's not a document to be trifled with easily. So I, I think there's enough filter against bad ideas as it is in the Constitution. I'm not convinced... Uh, 55% or 60% threshold is necessary. Um, we're going to come right back and talk with Corey Heidelberger. He is a blogger at dakotafreepress.com, pays a lot of attention to the legislature from the from the lefty side. And uh, we're going to come right back and uh, continue this discussion. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 419, 420 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 
And we return to our conversation with Corey Heidelberger. He is a blogger at Dakota Free Press, and he is a guy who pays attention to the legislature. And we have been talking about all the uh, legislative-initiated measures that may appear on your ballot in November. Corey, we should also mention that there are several uh, initiated measures from the citizenry that are going to be on the ballot in November. Yes, we just got our third one last week, Mark Mickelson's tobacco tax for the Votex. Uh, the petition passed muster with the Secretary of State. So now we have that will go on the ballot as, what was that called? I think that goes on as uh, Initiated Measure 25. Yeah, and, and, there, then, and which is interesting because he didn't run, the, he's a Speaker of the House, he didn't run that through the legislature as we've been chatting about these other issues. He actually put together an organization and, and, and got petitions signed, right? Yeah, he did, which, I mean, there's, there's no law against it, but it does kind of raise a question. When, when you are the Speaker of the House, you've got a lot of power to put a bill through the legislature and, you know, probably be a lot less grief and stress to do that. Um, it's, it's strange that he would choose to put that one to a vote of the people and, you know, go through the trouble of ballot question committee. Um, and also, you know, Kind of a bother, too. Some of us look at that and go, hey, you're already speaker. You've got all the legislating power you need. Why now go crowd the ballot with your measures as well? So how many do you think, I mean, just looking at it, some of these that are uh, legislatively legislatively initiated will make it on the ballot. Some of these are going to be on there, Um, Mm -hmm. whether they're they're constitutional amendments or just uh, 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 initiated measures. What's your prediction here? How many ballot questions are there going to be in November? Well, my, my, there could be 16 from what's alive in the legislature right now and the five citizen petitions left to certify. But based just kind of on my feel of the signature counts, who's got enough, who doesn't, um, I think the total, the likely number right now is 13. Hmm. Um, the things the legislature's looking at, there are eight that are still alive. I think they're going to put seven on the ballot. Really? That many? Wow. I, uh, it is my sense. I could be totally wrong on that. I don't have any inside intel. Mm-hmm. But just looking at what they've got there and the sense of the votes they're getting so far, um, I can see seven of the eight remaining going on. Now, six have already died, you know, so there's, there's some that have already been weeded out. I think that the eight left are kind of the ones that have a good shot, but seven will make it. And then of the petitions that remain, there are five that remain. I'm guessing conservatively that two of them don't quite have enough signatures to get there. So I don't think we're going to see medical cannabis, mm-hmm. and we're probably not going to see redistricting again. But we'll get the other three that deal with voting by mail, a prescription drug cap, and I think open primaries might squeak on there. So that's, that's 13 measures I'm thinking are likely, and that's not counting anything we refer, because there's still the possibility the legislature will pass stupid things, go figure, mm-hmm. and that some citizens' groups will say, this is intolerable, we're putting those on the ballot. And that's, that's really hard to predict, so we'll have to wait and see. Because there is a, a citizen-initiated constitutional amendment, W, right? Which is, yep. which is the uh, uh, is IM-22 Part 2. Um, yes. And there's another one. And what's the other one that's already on? The other, the other one is initiated measure 24. Thanks for giving me a moment to remember what it was. Yeah. The other one is Mark Mickelson's uh, out-of-state money ban. That's right. Where he wants to basically put on the, put on the, uh, on the ballot uh, a law that would say out-of-state entities can't contribute to ballot questions. And that's clearly unconstitutional, so we'll let that go without comment. Um, but 
here's what's interesting to me. How, I, I just wonder about the voter going in there and trying to decipher all this, because some of it's pretty straightforward, but some of it is pretty complicated, uh, whether it's government operation stuff or, you know, the, the, the you know, um, W, which is the anti-corruption thing, has a ton of stuff in it. And it passed last time, um, you know, I don't know. It, it just seems overwhelming from a voter standpoint. And, yeah, there's a lot from the from the uh, citizens. But, man, with the legislature piling all this stuff on there, it just seems like a lot. Yeah, well, and that's, like you said, with the legislature piling it on, it gets to be a lot. And that's something people should remember because the Republicans are saying, Oh, the ballot gets too crowded. That's why we've got to put up barriers to initiated measures. But now they're turning around and crowding the ballot for us. So I'm like, you guys, you can't have your cake. It's like they're trying to create a self-fulfilling prophecy here to say, see how crowded the ballot is? Well, this year, it's their fault for Pete's sake. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, in 2016, you know, I ran for legislature up here, mm-hmm. and every card I handed out, I put a list of the ballot measures. And I said, folks, if you want to learn more, go to this website. And I had, you know, voters called me. Mm-hmm. They said, well, what about this one? Tell me about this one. Those are the conversations I was having with people. And I'd meet people who'd say, yep, I'm going down to the courthouse. I'm going to check out my, I'm going to get my sample ballot, and I'm going to read up on these. So, sure, there are certainly people who maybe they, they just, they bop in to vote on election day. They've not looked. They look at the ballot and go, oh, my gosh, what is this stuff? Mm-hmm. But I meet voters all the time who say, I take this seriously. And they take the time at home to read it and talk about it with their friends you know, it's it's an opportunity that a lot of South Dakotans, myself included, really appreciate to look at the ballot. And it's not just a popularity contest between Christy and Marty and Billy. Mm-hmm. It's we need to think about this policy. This is kind of fun. Let's figure out if we like this policy or not. So it can be overwhelming, but I think South Dakotans pretty regularly rise to the occasion. And that's why we do initiative, because we trust the people to think it through and make good choices. Um. Just quickly, I want you to uh, uh, tell us what to watch for this week. We've been talking about the ballot initiatives, but there's a lot of stuff going on. What's it's it's crossover week and all that. But what are the what are the key things for us to to watch this week? Oh, it, it's hard to pick a key with so much, but I can tell you that tomorrow in uh, House Appropriations, there are some important bills dealing with uh, revising the teacher pay raise formula and with uh, changing how much you know, maybe lifting the caps a bit on the reserves that schools can keep. You know, some significant changes to the Blue Ribbon Plan from two years ago. Uh, Sue Peterson from your neck of the woods, she's got a bill to give homeschoolers, basically give them back their property tax. They get a property tax exemption, um, and that's a disaster for public education. We should, everybody needs to fund education, whether or not they got kids in. And then our uh, anti-immigrant Republicans, our, our Trump sock puppeteers, Neil Tapio has an anti-immigrant bill in the Senate committee on Wednesday mm-hmm. trying to ban refugees from the state. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to hear his testimony on how he'll dispatch the highway patrol to turn people around at, at Worthington. Yeah, well, it'll be a long explanation, you know that. Um, oh, yeah. Corey Heidelberger, our resident lefty blogger at uh, dakotafreepress.com. We really appreciate you taking the time and filling us in on life from your perspective. Corey, we'll talk to you again next week, hopefully. Thanks for having me. Shovel carefully, everybody. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk with Dr. Gene Hoime with Sanford Research. He was part of a study that uh, found that fetal alcohol syndrome is at uh, much greater prevalence than we thought before. So stay tuned for that. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO.
435 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are very happy to have on the line today Dr. Gene Hoime. He is a genetics researcher with Sanford Research and here in Sioux Falls. Uh, Dr. Hoime, thank you very much for taking a few moments for us today. My pleasure. So uh, the reason we wanted to have you on today is that there was a recent uh, study released um, from the National Institute of Health that you were involved with. Uh, and I just read the, the headline here from the NIH, which is study of first graders shows fetal alcohol spectrum disorders prevalent in U.S. communities. Now, uh, this is kind of an amazing study because it looked at more than 6,000 children to figure out how, what the actual rate of these uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders were. Um, and you participated in that study. Uh, tell us uh, what your role was in this uh, before we kind of get into the results here. Sure. Um, I'm my uh, professional training is as a pediatric clinical geneticist. Um, I've been in the field for about 36 years and have spent the last 20 of those years uh, primarily focusing on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. In this particular study, I was the senior clinical geneticist in a large team of researchers from medical schools across the United States. My role in the study was to design and oversee the clinical evaluation um, from a pediatric standpoint of these children who were uh, in, enrolled in the study. And so this was over uh, the course of uh, many years, is that correct? That's correct. Um, this entire study probably took place over a period of about six years. That's a, a long time and a lot of children to uh, study. Um, now, there, Sioux Falls was one of the communities in, involved in this study. Is that because of your involvement, or how was Sioux Falls picked? Sioux Falls was picked um, primarily because we have a lot of expertise in South Dakota in this particular uh, group of conditions. Um, I, at the time, was uh, uh, the president of Sanford Research and had been chair of the Department of Pediatrics for the School of Medicine uh, at the Sanford School of Medicine in Sioux Falls. And um, that was uh, partly the reason Sioux Falls was chosen, just because, uh, as with most research that's done, you need to prove to the government that you have the expertise available to carry out the study. Um, so Sioux Falls was not chosen because we felt that Sioux Falls was at an unusual degree of drinking during pregnancy, but rather because of the expertise that was available. That's interesting. So... Uh... I, we probably should say, um, you know, what is fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? Because I, I've made the mistake yeah. by just calling it fetal <laughs> alcohol syndrome, um, sure. because that's sort of the common phrase. But what is it that you're studying here? So um, this group of conditions was originally described in the modern medical literature in 1973, so it's been an, in, in something that physicians have known about for quite some time. In retrospect, it was really known for decades and hundreds of years perhaps before that that drinking alcohol in pregnancy was harmful to the developing baby. Um, so alcohol is what we call a teratogen, which is a chemical or drug or environmental agent which can harm the developing 
human fetus. Um, and the, the primary target of the alcohol when it crosses the placenta is the developing central nervous system in the baby. Much of the damage that is done is done very early in pregnancy and uh, often before women seek their first prenatal visit. Um, so there, it is a public health issue, partly an educational issue, that we feel it's important. Um, we call it fetal alcohol spectrum disorders because the disabilities associated with alcohol range from severe to mild. Um, the severe uh, effects have been called fetal alcohol syndrome. As you mentioned, these are children who have growth deficiency, uh, small uh, head circumference because brain growth has been affected. There's a typical uh, facial appearance because the way your face develops in early infancy is uh, heavily, or rather early fetal life, is heavily dependent on normal frontal brain development. So if the brain is not formed properly, the face will change in its appearance. So that would be one end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. The other end is something called alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder in which the children have normal growth and look just like any other child but display learning and behavior problems um, that significantly affect their function in society because of prenatal alcohol exposure. And I would imagine that's much more difficult to uh, identify because you aren't sure immediately if there's a connection. It is more difficult to identify, and because of that, the criteria are, are, are stricter. The, the, um, the medical um, evaluation of these children is easier, uh, although it's a more significant problem for the child, if there are physical changes in the child that indicate a problem. In the kids who look like just, just like any other child, we have to be very careful uh, to to not um, mislabel them as uh, having a disability due to alcohol, and the in what you uh, ultimately found was that the the rates of uh, FASD, the fetal alcohol uh, spectrum disorder, was higher than we knew before. How much higher? Well, uh, the the most liberal uh, reading of the prevalence previously had been that this might occur, the full spectrum, including the more mildly affected children, might occur in around 1% of children. Um, and the, the um, more recent data from the studies that we've done indicate that it's probably somewhere between 2 and 5%, depending on which community we look at. So it's somewhere between 2 and 5 times more common than people recognized. We're going to come right back and talk more with Dr. Jean Hoime, who is uh, the Chief of Genetics and Genomic Medicine at Sanford Health. And we'll talk more about a study by the NIH that he was involved with on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And we'll find out what this means for all of you out there and uh, for us in South Dakota. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 446 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Gene Hoime. He is a genetics researcher with Sanford Health who was involved with a multi-year study 
of first graders across the country in four cities, including Sioux Falls, looking into the rate of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And we've been talking about how it was uh, higher than previously thought. Um, Dr. Hoime, you've dedicated a much or a lot of your professional life to this work. Uh, When you look at these numbers and these results and what you learned here, what does it say to you? Well, it says that we have a lot of work left to do. Um, as I said, this condition was described in 1973. We, well, the progress we've made since then is that we are much, much better at identifying these children. I think that there is more public awareness uh, that drinking during pregnancy is problematic. Um, where we, ha- we haven't been able to um, eliminate this group of uh, conditions. I, if you look at uh, intellectual disability and developmental abnormalities that are completely preventable, this is at the top of the list. This is the most common environmentally caused um, uh, problem with intellectual development in the world. It's not just in the United States, but it's it's really all around the world. And um, so although we've made a lot of progress in identifying the kids, our uh, ability to prevent the problem has not been as successful as we would really like it to be. The other area that we need to focus on is once the child is identified, how can we intervene early in life in terms of therapy and school um, settings in order to maximize these kids' potential. So. Prevention and treatment are where I think the future really lies in this disorder. From a very practical standpoint, what do you tell women? Uh, You mentioned earlier that much of the damage, or some of the damage at least, can be done even before a woman has a prenatal visit. Um, Correct. You know, a woman doesn't necessarily know she's pregnant when she's pregnant um, right away. Uh, What do you tell women in terms of, uh, how much alcohol they should consume, or if they're, you know, it seems like a very difficult thing to give somebody guidelines for. Sure. Well, it's, it's the, the uh, information is actually um, fairly simple. It, it doesn't mean that it's easily carried out. Um, but let me just say to start with that um, m- much of the general public believes that children with this condition are primarily born to women who have chronic alcoholism, and that's not true. Uh, The most prevalent type of drinking that leads to children being damaged is really weekend binging. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're talking about women who go out drinking on Friday and Saturday night uh, with friends and maybe consume five or six drinks on Friday night and five or six drinks on Saturday night, and then perhaps don't drink at all during the week. Um, but if they don't get their first prenatal visit until somewhere between 10 and 12 weeks of pregnancy, then what ends up happening is the child has had uh, significant exposure to blood alcohol levels over those 10 to, to 12 weeks. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, what we found in the studies that we did in the United States is that women who had affected children tended to do this weekend binging behavior. They weren't alcoholic women, um, but that they were not careful about birth control, and um, they, they sought prenatal care later than uh, women who had normal children. And so uh, the, the combination of 
drinking, being sexually active with inconsistent birth control, and then seeking prenatal care late uh, led to these children having significant exposure. So the take-home message we'd like women to think about is if you are drinking and you're uh, sexually active, you need to be careful about using birth control because a lot of this damage can occur before you realize you're pregnant. Mm. Um, the second message is that if you're trying to get pregnant, then you should not be drinking. Um, you know, the, the message that the Surgeon General uh, put out back in the 1980s is still the most appropriate message, and that is no amount of alcohol during pregnancy has been shown to be safe. Now, from a practical standpoint, we get two kinds of questions, believe it or not. One is a woman, woman will ask, um, I'm pregnant, can I drink during pregnancy? And the answer is no, and the reason is because there are no good studies to show that any amount of alcohol in pregnancy is totally safe. The second question we get is, um, I have. I didn't realize I was pregnant, and I had a weekend binge. I went, it was New Year's Eve, and I was intoxicated. And have is there any evidence that that one um, binge caused problems for my baby? And the answer to that is no. So we 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 discourage women who are trying to get pregnant or who are pregnant from drinking just for the safety of their baby. I mean, I've never met a woman who wanted to harm her baby. And so we really want that to be the message. And if you are not trying to get pregnant then and you are drinking, you should not you should be on, be very careful about the birth control that you use. So I think those are the messages we'd like to get to uh have women take home. And is there any other correlation other than uh the ones you mentioned in terms of uh, uh binging? In terms yes. of uh, demographic correlations in, yes. for age or, uh, 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 you know, uh, race or ethnicity or uh, poverty, or, or doesn't the study go into that? Yes, the study goes into all of those things. Um, we know quite a bit about this now. Um, you know, there is this new field in genetics called epigenetics, which means the way that the environment in which we live turns on or off genes as we go through our life cycle. So what alcohol does is it switches off genes in early brain development in the baby that should be active. That's one of the ways, one of the major ways that alcohol causes problems. Um, there are other things that can uh, make that worse. Um, and so as pediatricians, we've known for decades that poor nutrition in pregnancy and poverty also increases the rate of birth defects. And we've known that with studying spina bifida and a whole variety of other types of birth defects. And that is explained by epigenetics. So if you look at um, another country in which the um, rate of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders far exceeds that of the United States, and that is South Africa, mm -hmm. Um, that group of women are chronically malnourished. They may um, have uh, HIV infection, tuberculosis. Uh, they live lives of, of violence and, and abuse. Those kinds of environmental factors will exacerbate the problems with alcohol. 
Now, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders does not occur without exposure to alcohol, but these other external factors mm-hmm. can make things worse. Um, so we do see that. The other thing we, that's been observed in the United States and around the world is that as women age, if they continue to drink and have children, that um, the older the woman gets, the children tend to be more severely affected, even if her drinking pattern has remained mm-hmm. the same. The reason for that probably is that the woman um, has had an alteration in her metabolic ability to handle alcohol because of liver, liver damage and other changes. So that we do see that if a woman is 18 and has a child who's been adversely affected by alcohol, the child would, would perhaps have alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, whereas if she's 40 and she has a child, she might have a child with full-blown fetal alcohol That's syndrome. interesting. That's very interesting. Dr. Hoime, I really appreciate you taking some time for us today. I've put the uh, link to the NIH study on our Twitter feed at P. Lally Show for folks who want to learn more. And um, g- uh, good luck to you, sir. Thanks so much. Coming up on the Patrick Lally Show, we will finish up for the day and uh, let you know what's coming tomorrow. This is Information 1000 KSOO. 458 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Coming up on the program tomorrow, we're going to talk about workforce development. You betcha. That's with Jennifer Tuttle of the uh, Sioux Falls Development Foundation. It's going to be a blast. Make sure you come on back 3 o'clock.